in the last chapter, the last book of uh, the Bible, the book of Revelation, of course, and we've been looking at Revelation 18 and 19, or excuse me, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So this is the third in a small sermon series uh, based on these uh, two verses uh, on how we got the Bible, because it's, uh, those verses obviously relate uh, are talking about the, the Bible, uh, how we got the Bible and why we believe it's true within the context of the larger series on the book of Revelation. And in the uh, first couple of, uh, in the first sermon, we looked at, at, if you remember, why we can know that what's in our Bibles today is the same as what was originally written. Uh, the second sermon dealt with how the books of the Bible came to be assembled in one volume. Was it some committee that voted on them, or how did they come together? And both sermons are available at sermonaudio.com. Today, I'd like us to consider the authority of the Bible, and that is, why do we believe it's from God? Uh, first, well, first thing, we can, we can look at what is called the internal testimony of the Bible. Uh, and one of the aspects of the internal testimony is what did the human writers of the Bible think? Uh, well, if you just look, look up, get a concordance, go online, look up Word of the Lord and see where it appears in the Bible. Uh, and there are many more examples than I, than I could possibly uh, take the time to give you this morning, but Genesis, the earliest, the first book in the Bible in chapter 15, uh, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Okay. First uh, Samuel 15, 10, then came the word of the Lord to Samuel. First Kings 6, 11, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. First uh, Kings 18, verse 1, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Uh, Ezekiel 6, 1, the word of the Lord came unto me. Ezekiel writing it. Um, in Luke 3, verse 2, the word of the Lord came unto John. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we say unto you, Paul is writing, by the word of the Lord. And over and over. Of course, there's no proof that the word of the Lord actually came, just those statements. I mean, I could write something and say the word of the Lord came to me, right? So that's no proof that, it came, that the word of the Lord came to any of these people. But it does prove they believe the Lord communicated with them. That the Lord spoke to them in some way, they believed that. You can't argue that they believed it. So you can come to one of three conclusions about that. Either scores of highly respected people in many cases, some of them kings who did great things and who were beloved by their people like David and Solomon, were terribly deluded. That's one conclusion you could come. They, they were just crazy. Or someone claiming to be the Lord communicated with them, but it wasn't really the Lord. Or it was actually the Lord. I don't see how you draw any other conclusions. Okay. Now an atheist will say, well, since the Lord doesn't exist, it's therefore impossible it was actually the Lord, so they were, they were either nuts 
or they were tricked. Uh, I used to read a lot of uh, UFO books about UFO sightings and communications and things like that and alien abduction and all that kind of stuff. And uh, quite often, the writers of the book will say, well, see, this is what the Bible says when the Lord talked to them. And uh, one of their, uh, uh, they'll say, oh, well, you know, the visions that they had and all. They were UFOs. These were aliens talking to them. Uh, But an atheist will say, since the Lord does not exist, it's impossible that these writers were communicating with the Lord since he doesn't exist. Well, that's obviously a logical fallacy. It assumes something that hasn't been proven to support a conclusion. What has not been proven is that the Lord does not exist. Therefore, it's illogical to conclude that the Lord can't communicate with people. I mean, you start out by saying, well, the Lord doesn't exist, so therefore this couldn't have happened. Well, you have to prove that the Lord doesn't exist uh, to make that statement. So that's why people who understand logic have a very difficult time being atheists, at least being honest with themselves and being atheists. In fact, if if someone really understands logic, if you've ever studied logic, which is really it's really fascinating study, it's I think it's impossible for them to be an atheist because atheism itself is illogical, just on the rules of logic. Uh, now, for any logicians who may be listening to this, let me give you the short explanation. I can't go into it. Basically, the precondition of causality, cause, is a, it has to be an uncreated God, and therefore God exists. So explaining, defending that is beyond my scope, but those who wish to understand further, look up transcendental argument, and also Dr. Greg Bonson, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, and if you're interested in, in seeing a uh, why atheism uh, cannot stand logically. So no matter what atheists may argue, even they have to agree that if someone believes that God exists and that God is personal, that he's all-powerful, then the conclusion is he can communicate with people if he so chooses to do. Even atheists will have to admit that. That if God exists, if he is personal, if he's all-powerful, then he can communicate with people if he so chooses. Now, Christians believe that God created man in his own image. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. That doesn't mean, by the way, physical image. We all look different, so we all can't look like God, right? Besides, we know God is a spirit, uh, John 4:24. So John is not, or, uh, God is not physical, but God created man in His own image. That He has certain attributes that God has. We share certain attributes with God. Now, are we all powerful? No. Uh, are we all knowing? No. But do we have the capacity to love? Yes. Do we have the capacity to think and reason? Yes. And these are what are called the communicable attributes of God, some of them. Uh, One of the attributes of God, part of his image that he gave to man, is the desire to communicate with with uh, others, to have fellowship one with another. And that's not restricted to Christians. It's universal. 
where does that desire come from? 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. Of course, you know very well. It's essential. Love can't exist on its own. You can't be a, a hermit and live in a cave. There's nobody around to love. You, know, you might love your own thoughts or something. But it's essential for love to interact with others. One who loves wants to express his love. Love can't exist in a vacuum. So the fact that God is love implies that God will communicate with those he loves. Further, if he didn't communicate with us, wouldn't we be, as Paul says, of all men most miserable? We'd be in a pitiful state without knowledge of him. That would be the opposite of love. So Christians believe as you know, among other things, that God is love, that God exists, that God is the cause of everything in existence, everything that happens, God is personal. And we believe that God reveals himself through the creation, through the stars and the trees and spring every year and and all the rest. And he reveals himself through providence, through through, uh, things that happen in our own lives, and through history, the history of the world. But primarily, he's chosen to reveal himself through Jesus Christ, his son, the second person of the Trinity, Christian beliefs. And Christ is revealed, not in our own dreams, but in the written word of the Bible. Christ said, I am the word. Christ is called the word of God. Both the Old Testament and New You know, you can't be, as I said before, you can't be a New Testament Christian. There is no such thing. God broke both Testaments. So we can't just pick out and say, well, I'm this part, but I'm not that part. There isn't an angry God of the Old Testament and a loving God of the New Testament. Those are are dichotomies. There's more about, by the way, there's more about punishment and hell uh, from Christ than there is in in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. So that idea is, is wrong. Augustine famously wrote that Christ is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. Another way to understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New is that the Old Testament proclaims that Christ is coming. The New Testament says Christ has come and will come again. So we're looking at rational grounds for belief that the Bible is from God. And we've looked at some of them. Not that we can reason our way to God, but the Bible is reasonable. We've already looked at that question from the standpoint of the reliability of the manuscript evidence and from, and from the composition of the Bible. There's a far more scholarly evidence that the New Testament is what the apostles originally wrote than there is for any other ancient writing. The time between when the last apostle wrote and the earliest manuscript that we have is 24 years. The shortest time between the original writing and the earliest manuscript of the next best attested to ancient work, Homer's Iliad, is about 1,500 years. So if somebody questions whether the apostles wrote the New Testament books that they say they wrote, then the evidence that Homer wrote the book of the Iliad, or for that matter, Aristotle, which is even farther apart from the original and, and what we the earliest we have, Uh, or any other ancient writer, is much weaker. 
So the Bible's internal evidences, again, we talk internal evidence, what the Bible says about itself and the statements it makes. The internal evidences are consistent with the history of, of Israel, ancient Israel, history with what we know of, the, of, of Roman history, Roman Empire history, Greek history. Uh, secular historical sources say, yes, what the Bible says happened. Now, do they agree 100%? No. Well, often the secular historians say, well, listen, these people never existed. They said for a long time, well, we have no evidence that the Hittites ever existed. So it's very doubtful that the Hittites existed. We won't believe it until we have some evidence. You know, well, the early part of the 20th century, guess what? Wow, archaeologists found out the Hittites did exist, and the Bible was right after all. And that's happened time and time again. There's never been a single historical or cultural statement in the Bible that has been successfully challenged by archaeology, at least not for very long. Uh, They've been questioned, statements in the Bible have been questioned by archaeologists, but only because archaeologists have not come up with the proof that they require. So one of the most dramatic evidences that the Bible is of divine origin is its predictive prophecy. These questions will be on the test, by the way. (laughs) Predictive prophecy. As history unfolds, the history of the world unfolds, the prophecies in the Bible that were predictive in the future come true time after time after time. And we've seen this repeatedly in our study of the book of Revelation. The title of uh, H. Grattan Ganesa's book, which, as you know, I highly recommend, sums it up, History Unveiling Prophecy. And he goes through prophecy and world history and shows how they've been fulfilled. Uh, one other example, the history uh, of the, excuse me, uh, uh, prophecy, the English theologian Henry Lytton found 333 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, That he was to come, some of them, where he was to be born, uh, that he would be born of a virgin, what he would do, what he would say, how he would be betrayed and tortured, even that he would die, what his last words would be, and that he would rise from the grave and live forever. All that is prophesied in the Old Testament, years and hundreds of years before it happened. They're there for the Old Testament for anybody to read, And no rational person doubts that they were all written centuries before Christ came in the Incarnation by people who lived in different countries in different centuries. Yet they all had the same message. Few of them had any knowledge of what the others had even written. So what do you make of that? The likelihood of all these 333 References to one single individual coming true is improbable in the extreme. To believe otherwise is to exercise faith in basically an irrationality. To be so opposed to God in the Bible that you'll believe anything else no matter how unlikely it is. Now, all faiths have their books. The Koran of Islam, the Vedas of Hinduism, the Theravada, Buddhism, the guru writings of Sikhism, Tao Te Ching of Taoism, and so on, which I'm sure you're familiar with all of these books. 
none except the Quran claim to be from God. You know that? None of the books of these religions claim to be from God. The Quran claims to be from, as you know, Muhammad, who claims to be a messenger of God. They're a combination of fantastic, mystical stories and encouragements to live in certain ways. None of them, including the Quran, have a shred of the external nor the internal evidences of authenticity that the Bible has. You ever read the Quran? I mean, it's you, you ought to sometime. Uh, it, it is silly. It is absolutely silly. Uh, and the best thing about the Quran is that each chapter, each succeeding chapter, is shorter than the previous one. <laughs> it's true. So as you read it, you keep thinking, well, at least it'll be shorter. From, you know, the next one will be shorter than this one. And what is the effect on people who believe the Bible is from God and who receive Christ as their Savior and obey the Bible's commandments as best they can? What kind of societies do they build? And how does that compare to nations living under idolatry? in one form or another. For example, how does that compare? What, what about most African nations? What's the state of their society? What about Haiti that's bound up to voodoo? To Islamic nations, what's the state of their society? To Roman Catholic nations, Spain, Italy. To officially atheist nations like North Korea. Now. None of these nations are all bad or as bad as they could possibly be. The Lord restrains that. Everything that is good about them comes from God. They are, in the, in the world's words of Alfred Lord Tennyson, broken lights, these, these other faiths. Broken lights. He's, he wrote in one poem, Our little systems have their day. They have their day and cease to be. They are but broken lights of thee, and thou, O Lord, art more than they. There's one grand difference between Christianity and all other faiths. All of the others are focused on man. People seek God, not the other way around. The Bible focuses on God while we are told to seek him, ultimately he seeks and finds his lost sheep, as, as Christ said. He said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, John uh, 15. Only in Christianity does God seek and find his people. All other faiths are based on human effort. Christianity is based on divine revelation. While it's interesting and faith-affirming to, to know that archaeological and other scientific evidence and historical discoveries agree with the Bible, the Bible doesn't need archaeology or history or any other discipline to prove that it's true. They're, they are not the judge of the Bible's claims. The Bible judges their claims. So you, you've, got to, you've got there's a stopping point. You know, I, believe, I only believe what, what archaeology teaches. Why do you believe that? Well, because it's rational, because that's what I believe. I mean, you, you can't go farther than explain your basic belief. Well, we have the same thing. We believe the Bible is true. Why? Because we believe that God exists and he wrote the Bible. Why? 
Well, you can give all sorts of these evidences and things. It's not going to convince somebody who's not going to be convinced. But everybody has a stopping point in their reason where, the, where you say, I believe it because I believe it. Why do you believe in human reason? To solve all problems, including God. I believe it because I believe it. I mean, there's a stopping point. Every, somebody can't prove why they believe in reason. You know, they'll just say it's, it's reasonable to them to believe it. It's circular. Well, we say the Bible judges their claims. The Bible is self-attesting. It testifies to its own validity. Discoveries in science and history and their interpretations change all the time. The Bible never changes. There's never been one single claim that the Bible makes. I'm talking about historically, culturally, even scientifically. There's never been one single claim the Bible makes that ever, that's ever been demonstrably shown to be false. And there never will be, because the Bible is written by God. Oh, unbelievers always have and always will claim they found something in the Bible that isn't true, and their claims have always collapsed. I read somewhere that the... Oh, I just, I just remembered it now. I didn't put it, write, it, uh, write it down for the sermon, but the French Academy of Sciences, back in the 1800s, came up with something like 200 reasons why the Bible can't possibly be true. Do you know today there isn't a single rational person who would take even one of those and claim the Bible is not true because they've all been all those statements have been disproven through science and archaeology and stuff. Their claims will always collapse because John ten thirty five, the scripture cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. In the words of H. Griffith Thomas, great evangelical scholar, and so we conclude that God has spoken, and this message is in the Bible or nowhere else. There is no other book in the world that will so verify itself to human experience, and this is because it contains and embodies a divine revelation. Whatever may be said about history and philosophy and morality and, and archaeology, is the cr- crowning point is what is the Bible to us? And when the Bible is really a force in our own life, we cannot possibly doubt that it comes from God. See, the bottom line is that we believe in the Bible not because archaeologists confirm what's in it, or scientists confirm what's in it, or historians confirm what's in it. The bottom line is that we believe in the Bible because God has given us faith in it. The fact that it's completely in accord with history, cultural, and archaeology, and scientific discoveries, and that when those disciplines have challenged it, the Bible has proven to be true time and time again, is secondary, because God has given us faith. Isn't it funny? Isn't it in my funny, in other words? Isn't it interesting that millions upon millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people throughout the centuries have believed that God wrote this book. Now, some people have written books that say that God wrote, you know, God wrote this book. You know, you can go to a bookstore and say, you know, find a book and somebody will say, well, you know, God, a messenger of God gave me this book. How many people believe that? Is it hundreds of millions of people throughout history that believe that? No. But hundreds and hundreds and millions of people have believed that this is the word of God. This comes from God. 
Why? Because God has given them faith in it. That's the only explanation. Matthew 16, 17, Christ said to Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We believe the Bible because we believe it was written by God. If man challenges it, we're on the Bible side. There are others who don't believe the Bible is written by God. If man challenges it, they are on man's side. Whose side are you on? That's right. Father, indeed, we thank Thee for the word of Thy Word, the word of the living and true God. Father, we would be lost without the assurance that this is Thy Word, and we thank Thee for all of the evidences, so-called, that exist, and they're they're certainly uh, soul-stirring to to read about them and to know them and to see where archaeological digs and and history and and, uh, science have shown that things in the Bible that secular people thought were impossible and couldn't possibly have happened did happen and and, uh, Lord we are so thankful that uh, we have these but these are only secondary even if uh, even Father we we have the faith that even if every archaeologist and scientist in the world said that they'd never come up with anything that proves anything in the Bible it wouldn't matter to us Thou has given us faith we thank Thee, Lord, and strengthen our faith, Father. Father, we uh, thank Thee for the gospel. We pray for the propagation of it to all nations. We uh, ask for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. Uh, we pray for the fall of Antichrist and all anti-Christian systems, Father. We as, as we've read, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, we uh, ask for the delivery of the distressed churches abroad from the tyranny of the anti-Christian faction, both, I shouldn't say abroad, it's in our own nation, Father. Our true churches are under attack, and we ask for, uh, Lord, uh, thy blessings and protections on them. And we ask thy blessings upon... Uh, on those who try to do thy will and Lord uh, guide us in all those matters um, Father we individually pray for uh, particularly for Tepe's great uncle um, who's we we ask Father that uh, he be restored to health but we know that uh, we can't live forever and so Father we ask that uh, that would deepen his faith and if this is uh, if this is the time that thou hast chosen for him to join thee, Lord, uh, give him assurance and uh, give him peace, and let him be a witness to the, uh, to of thee to others around him, and uh, comfort those who uh, would grieve if this were the case, Father. And uh, Lord, we ask a special, uh, a special blessing upon those who are praying for him, Father. And uh, let us all remember and, and to be fervent in our prayer for him. We thank thee, Lord, for the families of this church. We are small, and we ask that thou would allow us to grow as thou deems fit with, uh, with people from the community and uh, uh, even travelers, Father, and uh, show us the best way to reach them. We know that uh, numerical growth is uh, not what we uh, 
are entirely focused on, Father, for that has been the ruin of many churches to focus on that. Uh, but we ask for, first of all, growth in our faith and our knowledge of Thee. That's the kind of growth we really desire. And uh, secondly, that we may reach others with the gospel and bring them here, Father. And, uh, Father, we ask finally for uh, blessings uh, upon our families. We ask uh, particularly for more rain in our our communities and for farmers and uh, ranchers who need need thy rain, Father. Uh, Please bring us more. Uh, Protect our families as we uh, attempt to uh, live our lives, raise our children out in the workplace, in the home, wherever our callings may be at this present time, Lord. We thank you for uh, being with us and guiding us and keeping us faithful to thee and keep us from the temptations of, of the flesh and the world and, and the devil. Uh, give us true fellowship and put our minds to study thy word and to memorize it uh, and uh, share it with our loved ones and discuss it at home. And, uh, Father, just keep us safe and protect us in our in our fellowship and on our travels home today and in the rest of this day, because this is the Lord's day, not man's day. Let us treat it as such. We ask all of these things in the glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm, continuing in 118. 